Hi there, this is Susie McMahon, your host for for Luxurious Journeys and Wellness. Most of my episodes are adapted around my pretty darn unique virtual book club, Susie L. McMahon's Virtual Book Club, that's housed over on Facebook in a private group. Each month, we feature one author, and the following month, I do a live stream interview of that author for the book club, and what's so cool is that every month, the author we feature recommends us to a future featured author, and so on and so on. Today's podcast is from our February meeting on February 15th with our author, Pamela Terry. She is the author of The Sweet Taste of Muscadines. It's her debut novel. It's a fantastic story, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for joining us. Good evening, everybody. It's Susie McMahon with the Susie L. McMahon Virtual Book Club. I am so excited tonight to have Melissa St. Clair, my group expert, joining me for facilitating. I did the wrong way. Facilitating again. <laughs> Melissa, of course, is a, a debut poet with her small um, booklet of poems called Homework. Um, and then, of course, our featured author for the month of December. Here is Pamela Terry. Welcome back to our book club. Last time we talked was May. Is that right? It was. I was in Montana visiting my friend trying to write my new book. (laughs) Did you finish it? (laughs) I am. Yes. Thank goodness. I am in edits now. I'm doing revisions. And so um, that's my favorite part because it's when things that you didn't think were there kind of pop up. And so I can grab them. <laughs> but the story wonderful. is done. So yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. That's great. Well, I always wait a couple of minutes for people to realize what time it is and for them to start strolling in to watch our live stream. A lot of people do watch our live stream and do comments. And then also we get a lot of um, coverage of people watching after the fact. But I am so excited to have you here tonight. I'm going to start by reading um, the bio in your book real quick. Okay. It's also the same one, I think, on the website. I was checking around to see uh, if that's okay. I'm going to read your bio and then Melissa's going to start for the first question. Welcome back, Pamela. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. So everyone, a lifelong Southerner, Pamela Terry learned the power of storytelling at a very early age. For the past decade, Terry has been the author of the internationally popular blog from the House of Edward, which was named one of the top 10 home blogs of the year by the Daily Telegraph. She lives in Smyrna, Georgia, with her songwriter husband, Pat, and their three dogs, Apple, Andrew, and George. Are they all still with us? Um, Apple sadly left us last summer, uh, but she was almost 17, so she, she had a good run. But Andrew and George are doing fine. (laughs) All right. Good to hear. And I'm sorry about the other news. Thank you. Um, She travels. So that was good. (laughs) Okay. Good. Um, She travels to the Scottish Highlands as frequently as possible. And as we just heard, is currently working on her second novel. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's It's good good to to see faces. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Melissa, I'm going to have you go ahead with the very first question. I'm going to see if there's any comments in the um, in the comment fields on our Facebook pages. Go ahead, Melissa. Okay, great. Good evening, and Pamela. Hi. So nice to uh, ask you the first question. Okay. So one thing that I love about living in the South is the availability of muscadines, and it seems <laughs> to be an extended season where yeah. I am residing. Good. So. So how did you choose this specific grape? Well, um, I I had a muscadine arbor in my backyard when I was little. Um, and the story just sort of unfolded. I knew there was an arbor and the word muscadines came to me immediately. I think if you're from the South, when you think of a grape arbor, you think of muscadines. Um it was really funny, though. Uh, my publisher really didn't want to name it 
when we didn't want the word muscadine in the name because nobody in New York knew what a muscadine was. And so it was a, it was a process to finally get them to uh, agree to have muscadine in the title. But I think now they're thrilled they did. But I did uh, like the character in the story. I did have a muscadine arbor that was sort of child size and it was between um, our house and my next door neighbor. So it's sort of based in reality. Yeah. And it's really funny too, since I wrote the book, everyone gives me muscadines. It's great. I've had muscadine jelly and big baskets of muscadines. So yeah, it's been a good season. (laughs) Yum. Yeah, I know. It's a perk. That's wonderful. I I don't know why, but even after growing up in Atlanta, I kind of like have I had a muscadine. So I definitely need to dive into some. You do. You might want to start with muscadine wine. It's really good. All right. (laughs) Talking my talk there. So I just I just wanted to let you know, Jill Fleming um, from Texas is saying so good to be here. And then I've got another comment. Absolutely love the book. Now I want to go to Scotland. Okay, guys, you know who the travel agent is to help you with that. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, So I had a question for you that was sent in um, by um, Francine. We actually talked on the phone today. Hmm. And um, she wants to know, did you write the story from start to finish? Or do you do different sections in the story? She didn't know um, um, your process. I know a, a lot of writers do. You know, I've seen photographs of uh, Eudora Welty, especially with little bye-bye seven cards all around her uh, writing room. And she works different scenes and then puts them together. Um, I tend to write start to finish. Um, I'm sort of like a, a bloodhound. You know, I'm, I'm sniffing out the story as I go. I don't really outline um i to me writing is discovery that's the fun part of it and if i outline something really uh stringently that's the story and i i think i would be bored to do that so i did write it from start to finish and a couple of things happened in the book that i remember i was writing at the library that's just a uh, less than a mile from my house and they have wonderful little nooks and crannies where they don't mind me staying all day and I remember I typed something in and then just sat back and I was stunned that this had happened, you know? So that's the, that's the magic in writing for me. And so I do generally write from start to finish. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that process with us. Sure. Um, Melissa, you're up. Okay. So you captured so many emotions and reactions surrounding death. And mm. Abigail's was definitely the most erratic. Can yeah. you talk about her? I think Abigail is what happens to any of us when we don't let ourselves be who we are. Um, and I think sometimes when something happens and rattles us, we are systems overload. And I think that's what happened to Abigail. I think she hadn't been true to herself ever really and uh sometimes a death is when all of that breaks open um a lot of drama can happen in funerals and so i think abigail was the perfect example of of what happens hers was a little extreme but i've seen cases that kind of rub up against that so that i think that was what happened to abigail she had quite an arc in the story <laughs> yeah and and Growing up in the South, I have to say that what you just described is unfortunately, um, at least for my generation, I'm 55, and a lot of us suffered from that because you're always on, you always, everything's going to be fine and everything's hospitable and um, hunky dory. We're all sweet. mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So that's definitely a challenge. I think you shared with us when you were here um, in May with Patty Callahan, your inspiration um, of your book, but could you remind us of really what that inspiration was and the backstory of your novel? Sure. Um, Well, I always preface this by saying that writing a novel is really hard work and that's what it is. You put your fanny in the seat and you write, even when you don't feel inspired And the magic of it is as soon as you start writing, that's when the inspiration comes. It doesn't come beforehand. Um, And I always give that as a caveat because the exception to that rule is I was in the middle of another book 
and I was cooking dinner one night. And if I remember, I've always said, if I could remember when I was cooking, I would cook it again, but I was stirring something. I remember that. And the first line of this book just came through my head, like the crawl of a news story at the bottom of a news story. And I remember, I thought, gee, that sounds like something. And I, I turned everything off and I went and sat down and I basically wrote the entire, I didn't basically, I wrote the entire prologue. And I think I mentioned earlier, my husband's a songwriter. And when he came in from the studio for dinner that night, which was late, by the way, I pushed it towards him and I said, would you read that and tell me if this is anything? And he said, yeah, this is something, just keep going. Um, and like I say, I just followed the story. I don't know where that first line came from. I wasn't thinking about it, but there it was. And I kept trying to go back to the other book I was writing and this story just kept pulling on my sleeve. And so I finally put that away and just concentrated on this. And, um, it was, uh, it was a fun, I felt like I was supposed to write it. It was a fun book to write and it was a emotional book sometimes to write, but I was grateful for that inspiration. And, you know, the rest of it was, like I say, hard work, but I was handed that sentence from somewhere. <laughs> it's unusual. Yeah, I have heard that um, from so many authors that we've had on uh, with our virtual <laughs> book club. It's, it's almost like you know, the channeling of a story or yeah. just um, a message. And, and that's so yeah. inspiring, inspiring yeah. to me. I have a follow-up question and then I'll turn back to Melissa. It, okay. um I really enjoyed the uh, discussion about ancestral memory. And mm. did you experience that yourself in your travels or did you research no. about that? Or I first heard about that years ago. There was a little place that we used to go on Amelia Island in Florida. It was an inn and the lady who ran it um, was so interesting and she was an older lady and I just loved to talk to her. And we were in a long conversation by the beach one day and we were mentioning something. She said, oh, well, that's that's ancestral memory. And I remember thinking, mm, you know, that sounds a little far out to me and just being very polite and letting it go by. And then this is years ago. And then I went to Scotland for the first time. And when I got out of the car at Glencoe, which is a stunning location. I was, it was like there was an invisible cord that was being yanked inside me. And I had never felt that connection to a place. And I had never been there before. Now, all my ancestors are Scottish on both sides. But I, I had never felt what I felt that day. Um, and like I say, we've, we've gone back to Scotland just about every fall since. Uh, and I never cease um, to feel that. I mean, it's it's a it's a thing. And I I talked to a, a friend of mine once, and he said, "Oh yeah," he said, "I've felt that both in Scotland and in Africa." He said, "Because when you think about it, that's where we all come from." Um, so I I believe in that now, and I because I've experienced it. So um, I think there is something to it, and I think these days they say if a child its ancestors experienced trauma, that they carry some of that into their lives when they're born. I, I think there is something to that. There's a lot we don't see. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And I um, have to say that I experienced the same um, in Ireland. And I have been, mm -hmm, I've yet yeah. to be um, in Scotland myself. Um, and I've done a little bit more digging into my ancestry and know that I have Pretty heavy Scottish and Irish, so Scotland yeah. is on number one. On You've got to go. You've got to go to the Highlands. Yeah, for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, thank you so much for that, Melissa. What would you like to ask Pamela now? So the next question focuses more about the book cover. I love the color purple. So yeah. of course that really draws my eye. Can you talk a little bit about the cover design or how that came about? Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't know anything about that. This being my first book, I didn't know how covers were done. And I had heard some writers say that you just sort of get the cover they send you. Uh, and that's pretty much the case. Um, however, I was really lucky. <laughs> and when they sent me this cover, it, it was just 
it was beautiful. I felt, and they told me uh, um, the the uh, Random House said that when they put it up in their sales meeting, everybody just gasped because they loved it so much. And I I wish I could remember the name of the girl who designed it. Um, I can't at the moment, but I think she did a wonderful job. And I I love it too. I just feel really fortunate that. Um, that that happened. I had nothing to do with it. It was just a gift. And, but I do love it. And I think it captures the book so well. Yes. So. More than magic. More, one of those magic elements yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's exactly. lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> That's so fun. Um, I have a couple more questions that were sent in ahead of time. I wanted okay. to ask one. This one is from Shoshana who was having a hard time finding us. I hope you found a Shoshana. Um, <laughs> Given that Scotland has so many islands, how did you choose In Hollow? In Hollow, well, In Hollow actually is an island. Um, it's off the coast of Orkney. Uh, it's not been inhabited for many years, uh, which is it has this uh, sort of Celtic uh, mystery lore that surrounds it, and that's sort of why I chose it. I didn't want to choose a real island um, because I didn't want people to have that image in their head. Um, but Ein Hollow actually does exist. It's just, it hasn't been inhabited for years and years. It's actually based, that particular description of Ein Hollow is, is basically based on the Isle of Harris. Um, the descriptions are pretty much um, accurate to the Isle of Harris. And we were just there in September and it's a treat to go back there now, even more so because it's, I know it's connection to the book. So, yeah. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend who um, wanted, she just raved about your book and she's in the Atlanta area. Her name's Diane Moffitt and I hope she's watching. Hi, Diane. And I, just, I just wanted to share with you the words she shared with me uh, several weeks ago, just in a Facebook messenger. I did ask if it was okay if I shared. Sure. So, so she wanted to say she loved your beautiful descriptive writing, your metaphors, the beauty of the South, the main, um, and of Maine and of Scotland. Mm -hmm. She says, as a woman of faith, she was happy to see you bring Lila's faith back to her at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, Diane thought you did a great job of the assumed faith that we all grow up with because it's modeled by our parents mm -hmm. and the distress of our faith when life gets hard and sometimes tears us away from it and how to mm -hmm. circle back on your own when you dig deep. Um, to find it and know that God is full of love. She loved the um, connection to Dot's wisdom that resonated with Lila, Henry's beautiful outlook on life. She loved Abigail bringing a funny piece to the story. And as a travel lover, me too, it made me want to book a trip to Scotland and wander with absolutely no plans for several weeks. And we want to stay at the inn if that really exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Overall, overall, the theme of forgiveness, you did an amazing job with each character that had to grapple with that in their lives. And I just thought that was wonderful. And That's I wanted very to share sweet. That. That's yeah, that that means that means a lot. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Diane, for writing it. Yeah, sure, sure. I appreciate that a lot. So right before we um, go into introducing our future featured author, do yeah. you have a passage that you would like to read with us? Sure. Us? Um, you sent me that and I was flipping through earlier. And um, it's funny that you were, we were both talking about the South. Um I was in conversation with somebody recently about uh, what it means to be a Southern author and what um, separates Southern authors from other writers. I've personally never really minded being called a Southern writer because I, well, how could you, when you look at the lineage that um, of Southern writers that there are. Um, but I think every writer is sort of, um, or should be imbued with a sense, their writing should be imbued with a sense of place. And I think um, as Southerners, we have that in spades. It's such a complicated place. Um, and so this is a little bit about what it means to be a Southerner. The grief of the Southerner lies in this unwavering love of place, a love that is boundless and visceral, it forms the bedrock of his every belief and action from the moment he feels a marsh wind cross his face or hears the midnight choir of cicadas tuning up at twilight. 
Take him away from the south and the scent of a magnolia blossom on a summer's night can damn near make him cry. But it's the love the southerner feels for the land of his birth is continually under threat. For the region's history runs counter to its beauty in brutal fashion. And we have to find a way to make peace with that fact. Some of us never do. Some choose to ameliorate our past by painting the pages of history books with the concentrated colors of excuse and denial. Others, like my sister, simply ignore it altogether. For all I know, for all I could neither understand nor relate to about Abigail, the one thing I envied was her connection to home. It was deep and authentic. Her blood was in the very soul around Wesleyan, that in a way that soil around Wesleyan, in a way that mine was not. There was nowhere she'd rather be than in the town of her birth. The lights of Paris, the relics of Rome, the mountains of Cape Town. None of these gave her the slightest temptation to question her place on the earth. No grass was greener. No air was sweeter. No sleep was sounder than what she had at home. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Um, I think we have a love-hate relationship with the South, but there's still something in here that it's going to be home no matter where we end up. So that was, that's what I chose. <laughs> That was beautiful, and I love um, hearing you, the author, read your own words. It's a special mm -hmm. experience when we get mm -hmm. to um, enjoy that. And I have to agree. I um, grew up in the South, have moved to Colorado, love it here, but my heart's pulling yeah. me back, and and that's yeah. the plan. So, yeah. so with that, with no further ado, uh, part of our tradition of this virtual book club that has a life of its own is each author we feature recommends a future featured author. And I just love this aspect. So I'm going yeah. to have you begin introducing this new author, featured author. And then I'm going to bring this person online with a big drum roll. You're good. Go for it, Pamela. Now, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Um, oh, this is the icing on the cake for tonight. Um, you know, you there's a, the term Renaissance man is used a lot, but, um, you know, rarely is it deserved. Uh, but Robert Hicks is truly a Renaissance man. I first got to know Robert. My husband's a songwriter in Nashville, out of Nashville. And um, Robert was a music publisher and he um, was a represented artist. And then I used to be an interior designer. So I got to know Robert in the interior designer design world. He was the first, I believe, the first person from Tennessee to be included in the um top 100 collectors in arts and antiques magazine. Robert, you can correct me if I've got that wrong. I seem to remember that. And um, he has written three novels. He has written for the New York Times and he's written for Garden and Gun. And he is a passionate collector. Um, he even has his own bourbon. He's just, he's everything. Plus he's a terribly nice person. So I'm thrilled to introduce from Nashville, Robert Hicks. Hi, Robert. Welcome. Shazam. Shazam. A, I don't know what I owe Pamela for this. I really appreciate both her wanting me to do this and also for her kind words. Uh, uh, we now know she is a fiction writer. Oh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I've known, I've known Pamela and her husband, Pat, mm. for what, about 30, 30 years? At least. At least. Which is amazing since I'm only 35. Exactly. There well, there were some issues about that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm really thrilled to be uh, that you all are going to be reading The Wit of the South. Uh, it's a book I, uh, I'm very passionate about. I, uh, along with working as a music publisher and the things, I've also been kind of like in the driving force of preservation here in Franklin. I live near Franklin. I actually live in Bingham, Tennessee, which doesn't really exist except for in my heart. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, it's at least it's there. But <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I moved to Franklin in 1974 and I got involved in preservation and I ended up kind of the driving force behind the preservation of, a, of an old house here uh, called Carnton. And uh, it's an extraordinary house. And, uh, and so we did a, a multi-million dollar restoration, brought in literally some of the leading, leading people in the field 
uh, from, uh, you know, uh, Mount Vernon and Monticello and places like that. And then we got finished with this, you know, uh, what should have been about a $7 million restoration, but it actually cost us about two and a half million dollars because I really just kind of conned people to by telling them the story. I forgot to say that. He's a con man. Yeah. <laughs> And so, and so they, these people who charge a lot more everywhere else, after they heard the story, they would come. So we get finished and no one's coming. And so I decided that I, and you have to know this, all of y'all need to know this. I come from a long line of delusional people. And so in that narrative, I decided sitting in my office at Polygram in, in Nashville, that I could write uh, a novel, I could find a great agent, I could find a super editor, it would be picked up, it would be become a New York Times bestseller, become an international bestseller, and people would come from all over the world to come to this house that no one was coming to otherwise. And one of my father, one of my grandfathers was a, uh, a minister, and this is not uh, in my theology, but I do like the idea that he believed that there'd be a lot of people that could get into heaven just through the fool's hold. That somehow, that somehow God would feel sorry and go, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> even though they didn't deserve to be in heaven. Well, I I I think that maybe God operates that with some of us as writers, because everything that I hoped would happen by some delusion of mine actually did happen. And, and people now come uh, from all over the world to see this house, to see this story about this woman. And uh, I think good fiction, uh, as you've heard from Pamela, uh, it is about transformation. And uh, her story definitely has great transformation. And, and so that's what this story is about. It's about how people can be trans transformed by, by their circumstances this case it's the battle of franklin uh it's five of the bloodiest hours of the civil war this woman who has no other choices but to be transformed is transformed and it's and it's it's really her story but one thing i'll also say is is that i wanted people to know that story and uh and uh uh the uh one of the amazing things that happened was that uh, President Clinton wrote me this five-page Sharpie letter uh, wow. telling me that he had read it and he and and he and told me where he wept and 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 how it brought up all these issues of his loss in his childhood. So a president of the United States had read this book, and then I I have a relation I for many years, been friends with Prince William. And, he, and in 2005, he was here and he said, it was right after the book had come out, and he said, I want to buy, I think, six copies. It may have been eight. Where can we get them? I just want you to flat sign them. So I said, well, let's go to Costco. So he and I and, and his two security people went to Costco. We bought a bunch of copies and I flat signed them. And several years later, he was, he was, uh, you know, he was texting me one day and he said, I never told you this, but one of them, uh, one of those copies went to SMF. I went, SMF? I don't, I know a lot of those, uh, just who's SMF? And, and I wrote SMF question mark. And he wrote back senior member of the firm. And it was his grandmother. And then he said, she wrote me a beautiful letter where she, had cried in the book. And I thought, oh my gosh, I am the luckiest delusional person on earth because all I wanted was people to know her story. There's a real person and I wanted to know her about her transformation. And I had a president of the United States and the queen of England both cry over her. So I hope you all will enjoy the book. I, I <laughs> hope you will. And uh, I'm I'm glad to be among uh, your 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 group and uh, and get to know y'all. 
We are so honored that you're with us. Pamela, thank you for your recommendation. You're welcome. Um, we will you're be welcome. reading um, Widow of the South in April of 2022 this year. And uh, tonight, one of the things I love to do is get the dialogue going between the authors and have um, Robert ask Pamela a question and vice versa. Okay. So we can get some author to author conversations. Okay. So I have a question. Pamela, what's your next book about? <laughs> oh, well, my next, my ne I can tell something. Uh, my next book is about what happens um, in a little town in the South uh, a week in January when a huge ice storm comes. And as you know, down the South, we aren't used to ice and a oh, lot of strange things can take place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? You're, you're an example of that. Um, so does my car. Two weeks ago today, <laughs> I, so I know I know what can happen in ice uh, in the snow. <laughs> well, if only you had done that last year, you might be in the book. But um, but a lot of strange things happen, and um, involving um, a Confederate statue, and that's all I can say. Ooh. But, oh, but um, yeah, it's it's been fun to write. It's uh, it's been I'm writing the third person, which is unusual for me. So a little it's a little like herding cats. I have so many different characters that are out doing things. And um, but it's been a lot of fun. And it's uh, it should be out in spring of 2023. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I could ask you what you're writing um, and I may do that. But I've. Like I say, I was thinking about Southern writers this week, and I, I remember that Flannery O'Connor had once said that a writer has everything they need, all the material they need by the time they're seven. And I'd like to know if you agree with that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, uh, I, come, uh, I come from this uh, interesting uh, family uh, where uh, a great uncle had died and uh, my great, and he was a worthless human being. He was a great uncle by marriage. And he had uh, his uh, wife, my great aunt uh, by blood, had uh, had him cremated, which in our family was something, as my grandmother said, you only did if there'd been a house fire and you just had to finish the job. We weren't big <laughs> into cremation in the right. South those days. <clears throat> so my uh, great aunt carried him around in the box that she got from the crematorium and she carried him in her pocketbook. And then eventually, when it started to leak, she put him in a mason jar. Okay. And she carried him around in a mason jar. And so if that doesn't open up yeah. all sorts of things. And I really wasn't into, as you are, Pamela, into fashion when I was <laughs> growing up. But all of us, all 17 of us, my brother and our, our, our 15 cousins, we all knew exactly who and where my great aunt's purse was because we knew that uncle Homer was, was in the purse. <laughs> and, and so, uh, so yes, I think well, that, that answers my question beautifully. Yeah. 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 We, we had everything we would ever need, uh, mm. to be, uh, I, my, my great, I just want to add this. My great grandmother lived in, uh, uh, I mean, my grandmother lived in, uh, Hicksville, Tennessee, uh, mm -hmm. which also, sadly enough, doesn't exist anymore. I, I, this is something happening in my family. So, <laughs> and there were three mental hospitals in Tennessee. There was one in Knoxville, there was one in Nashville, and there was one in Bolivar. And, and so when I would come to spend the summers at my grandmother's house, the 17 of us would be there. Uh, my, all of a sudden, my Aunt Sarah would disappear. Now, this wasn't even the one that carried her husband around. This was actually my uh, uncle's wife. And I would say, Where, where's Aunt Sarah? And they would say, oh, she's gone to Balava. Now, I thought it was like a spa. It was like Baden-Baden or something. It turned out she was in the mental hospital getting an electric shock. And I one day said, when I was about eight, I want to go to Balava. When can I go? And they said, soon enough. Your time will come. You'll be there. So, uh, so yes, uh, we, I, I have plenty to write about. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. You've got the credentials to be a Southern writer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Huh? 
I was just saying amazing. And I wanted to see, Melissa, if you had a question for Robert, since you haven't got to talk to him yet. Go for it. Oh, my goodness. Well, good evening. And I was this close to taking the tour, but we had a one-hour wait for lunch in Franklin, so we could not make the tour. But what? now there's a direct flight from where I am to Nashville, so less than an hour I can get there. So it's on the list. Um, but I'm super excited to read your book. Um any fun fact that you can share uh, that happened or surrounds writing this book? Um, you know, uh, I, I, I wrote this, I was writing this book, I was about a third finished, and I was desperate to find a, uh, an agent. And uh, someone told me that there was a guy named Jeff Kleiman, who was a great agent, who uh, who would uh, who should I should talk to, and I didn't know you couldn't cold call an agent, which is <laughs> something you can't do normally. And so I called a number to his agency, which was then in D.C. He's he's now he left that and founded a much bigger agency in New York. So I called him, and uh, and he uh, he answered the phone, but he answered the phone with, "Yeah, what." And I thought, gosh, I was at Polygram in those days, and I would have been very unhappy if our receptionist had said, yeah, what? Well, it turned out that the receptionist had spilled her Starbucks, her five bucks coffee, all over herself and opening it, and had accidentally hit my call of all the agents directly to his office. And so I said, can I speak to Jeff Kleiman? And all of a sudden there was this terrified voice and he said, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Robert Hicks and I've written this book and I could just hear him going, oh no, how did this happen? I'm firing that receptionist. So anyway, I talked to him for about 10 minutes about it. As you can tell, I can talk. And, uh, and he started crying. And I knew that's either really good or really bad, but it turned out to be good. So I guess that uh, would be my fun fact. Uh, I'm very grateful. <laughs> that is your great. Son, your son you. kissed, Robert. Well, I'm very thankful. I, I have, I have uh, no reason to ever not be grateful in this world. You know. Sweet. Amen. Anyway, okay, what else? Do you want anything sweet, else? Sweet. Yeah, well, I was going to ask both of you. I was going to have Pamela start and then Robert. Tell us what, um, if you were going to give one book to a loved one in your family, what would that book be and why? And you can take a few minutes to think about that one. Um. You said just a loved one. You cut out there. Just it wasn't. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, just a loved one. It can be a spouse. Okay. It could be a family member, a good friend. Just oh, one gosh. book, and that was the only book you could give. What would it be, and why? Oh gosh, that's so hard. Um, I tell you, a book that I read this past summer by a writer that I was un I was ignorant of. I shouldn't say unfamiliar. I should say ignorant because she is someone that everyone should should know about. Is a writer named Elizabeth Spencer. And she wrote around the time that, well, she wrote much longer, but this book came out a few years before, well, maybe eight years before, To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's called The Voice at the Back Door. Um, it was it was a stunning, amazing book. And it's sort of thematically the same or similar to To Kill a Mockingbird, but it it dives to a different strata. And um, I loved that book so much. And it meant so much to me in terms of, of what she was willing to tackle and how beautifully she did it. That especially today, when we're still struggling with some of the things that we were struggling back in 1950s, mm -hmm. I would give A Voice at the Back Door by Elizabeth Spencer. Thank you so much for that. I posted um, Elizabeth Spencer's name and the title there for everyone Great. watching. Great, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What about you? If you could give one book to someone, a loved one, what would it be and why? I wish you could uh, you could see all around me. There's no way I understand one book. Uh, there'd be, you know, 
There'd be so many books. Uh, Richard Halliburton was uh, an adventurer who lived in uh, Memphis, grew up in Memphis. And, uh, and when I was a child, uh, one of the first impressive books was his complete book of marvels. And I, I would get in bed when I was supposed to be asleep and get the flashlight out under the covers. And my parents were great believers in reading, but I, I, I spent much of my childhood traveling with him in his amazing travels around the world. And, uh, and I've, I've been able to actually um, experience many of those places in adulthood. And I, I guess if I was thinking about giving a book to a child, that's probably the book I would give because I think it would open one up to so many, as it has me, to so many journeys in this world. I mean, then beyond that, God, just everything, everything I've ever read. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was write, writing The Wood of the South, I went back and I read every Russian novel that I claimed I had read in, in college. <laughs> and I really read them. And I just, you know, it, there's something so extraordinary about mm -hmm. them. So I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could send you a book list. And it would be kind of <laughs> exhaustive. But I don't know if there's one. Anyway. That's a hard question, I know. And we were <laughs> laughing at the beginning of the, before we came on live, everybody, and it looks like Pamela and Robert are in the same room with the shelves and the books lying. It does. It really does. Yeah, it's I've actually cute. asked her. Uh, she's been to my house. Uh, yeah. But I've asked her to to send me pictures of her place because she always on Instagram she she shows these extraordinary houses <laughs> and I know that I know that she and Pat must live in the most extraordinary place on earth. We live and in I, a very old house that's sort of like a rabbit warren, but it um, it's pretty it's pretty uh, whimsical, magical. Yeah, I love I, it here. I, I do you remember when I wrote you that and I said I want to see pictures of your yeah. house and yeah. totally ignored me. Well, you're welcome anytime, Robert. Just come on. Just let me know. You're only four Just hours away. Back. I may do it. I may do it. Come on. All right. Well, when, I'm they invite, when they invite us down to Buford, you can stop off here on your way. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and then I'm can, you guys can. You can carpool together. You just That's drive right. to Atlanta and then Pamela. I love I'll that. Stick, I'll stick you in my little Fiat. I'm not going to let you drive after your track record the past two weeks. Wow. Wow. So I'll fold you into my little green Fiat and we'll go. So let me just tell you what I'm driving right now. I, yeah, I wondered about that. Mine, friends of mine said, uh, I, I told them last Saturday what had happened. And they went, oh, we're going to Florida. You can have, uh, and I won't say the person's name, you can have her car. And she is a, uh, a lovely, beautiful 75-year-old woman, a strikingly beautiful woman. And all of a sudden I thought, I am going to be driving a Lexa, a beige Lexa with beige interior that looks like Sorry. it's owned by a 75-year-old woman. And so <laughs> that's what I, it's really nice. And it it's handled so beautifully. But uh, and I'm not, course, Robert. Huh? I said a gift horse. Don't look a gift exactly. horse. Exactly. No, I am loving it. And I told him, I said, I, I promise I'm not going to drive this in snow or ice. And then, <laughs> and they said, oh, don't worry about it. Then the next day, her husband called up and said, Robert, we'd like you to promise you won't drive it. Very <laughs> That's I'm, for sure. You cannot handle the snow and ice in the South. We know that. I, I, know. I am learning that more and more. So, so I just want to make a slight announcement because I'm going to put everybody on the spot. I don't know if you all heard the two of them, but Pamela and Robert are possibly willing to come to the second <laughs> annual Low Country Literary and Leisure um, Getaway next year for all of those of you that are missing the opportunity this year. So I'm going to, I think that would be perfect timing. If you get your next novel out, Pamela, before March, that might be great, huh? Okay, I'll, I'll talk right. to them. <laughs> it's supposed Get to be spring it. of next year, so it might be perfect timing. Perfect timing. 
So I wanted to thank both Robert and Pamela and Melissa, all of you for being here tonight. I think this was a wonderful experience. Always when we're having a good time and having great chit chatty conversation, time flies by way too fast. But I just wanted everyone to have um, a closing remark. I wanna thank you all. And um, I'll start with Melissa, go to Robert and then end with Pamela tonight. Thanks. Just uh, grateful to be a co-host tonight. Happy New Year, everyone, and hope to see you in March. Robert is honored and, uh, and very grateful to Pamela and honored that I'm going to be part of this. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We'll have a lot of fun. And I just want to thank Susie and Melissa and Robert uh, for making this such a fun experience. Um, Zoom meetings are really unusual for me. But uh, you guys make it so easy. And Robert, I'm so glad you could do this. And it's wonderful to see you. And yes, I'll be happy to go to Buford. <laughs> you, heard, you heard it here, folks, <laughs> live on, on Facebook Live. Pamela and Robert, stay warm. Um, Melissa, can you stay for a minute? OK. We're going to do a little bit of book club business. Thank you to each Thank of you. Thank you all. Is so excited. Love you, Robert. Love you. Give to okay. you. Bye. Have a good night. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robert. So hi, everybody that's still with us. Um, Melissa, what do you think of that tonight? Oh, my goodness. I think we could have just kept on going and <laughs> pour another glass of wine or get a little more hot tea and, and just keep going. Yes. Yeah, that was delightful. And I know I didn't get to all the questions that people sent in, and I apologize um, for that. Sometimes things just kind of move and groove and some, I like the conversation just to flow. I think that's most um, relaxing for everybody and enjoyable. So I just wanted to get um, a uh, overview for everyone. Um, if you need to know what's next, of course, we're reading Pat Conroy's The Water is Wide in this month of January, which we're almost done. And we will be having the executive director, Jonathan Haupt of the Pat Conroy Literary Center coming on in February for this meeting. And I think it is February 22nd at 7 p.m. Again, I'm double checking quick. I always look to Melissa for this. I should always have this ready for you guys, but I get a little You're right. Nervous. You're correct. Okay, yes. I'm right. Yay. Tuesday, 22nd, 7. So that's a Tuesday. So for those of you that can't make Thursdays, you can make Tuesday. And to just remind everyone that um, the whole reason, um, one, that we're reading the Pat Connery book, uh, The Water is Wide, is one, it's a fantastic memoir is we if you've been living under a rock in our group, you may not know, but we are hosting a, or I am hosting the Lux Low Country Travel Agency and this virtual book club is hosting a getaway that is full for March 9th through 13th. But for those of you that hate to miss, we have three events that are going to be taking place on Mar um, one on March 9th and two on March 12th, which happens to be a Saturday. You can buy tickets. Um, I can put the link out there in the group again, but you can buy tickets and that ticket is helping raise funds for the Pat Conroy Literary Center. And in the getaway, what we're doing, um, Melissa's coming, I'm so excited, is we're taking this book as the inspiration of the whole getaway. And we're going to Defusky Island, which is a true island where the enslaved lived and the Gullah culture still is. And we're doing all kinds of fun tours around Pat Conroy, visiting the center, doing a little... Um, wonderful private brunch and things like that. But I really wanted to share with you my whole goal. And you heard part of that come true. And it just happened this not tonight is how do we keep this going for people who don't want to come this year or can't come this year? If we do it a year from now, what do we do? And the whole goal would be to get authors that are regional that would be willing to attend. And the two of them offered before we even came on the show tonight. Right, Melissa? I didn't make that up. You're, you're muted. Yes, I am witness. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the whole goal. And I just want to um, give unique opportunities for you, the readers, to meet the authors and to help these authors that may not be 
you know, New York Times bestsellers yet, I'm sure they will be, um, a chance to promote their book and to meet you, the readers. So that is January. February, you can't, you, uh, you have to have remembered Jennifer Daniels. Um, Jennifer Daniels Neal, she is a professional singer. Estelle Ford Williamson referred us, her to us. And this is her first novel, The Lockbox. Can you see that? Um, and this is what we're reading in February, and we'll be meeting with her in March. And then in March, we had a crazy show that Melissa, um, our meeting that Melissa facilitated uh, just because of technology drains, not enough Wi-Fi. But Denny Bryce is going to be our featured author in April. Um, and she wrote this book, if you can see it, Wild Women in the Blues. Um, I'm so excited to read it. And it'll be a lot of fun talking with her. So did I leave anything out, Melissa? Uh, I don't think so. And then the next read would be... Um... Widow of the South in April. Yes. Yes. Of course. Yes. So following, I'm sorry, I might've gotten the months wrong, what I just said, but the next one in line will be Robert Hicks, who we just met, his yeah. novel, The Widow of the South. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Melissa, for helping me with this. It really helps when my family's making a lot of noise in the other room and I have to remind him that I'm live um, for me to have somebody else able to of help facilitate. It's always fun having you on. And the last thing I was going to throw out there, Melissa has done this several times and I love having her, but if there's anybody in our book club that might be interested in being a guest co-facilitator, please send me a message either on Facebook or my email. Um, I want to create more of an interactive um, experience for all of you and think that that would be a fun thing to do. So. With that, thanks again, Melissa. Thanks, everybody, for participating. And if you didn't catch the whole meeting, definitely just go into the Facebook group and look at the video. It'll be posted there. And I will share it via YouTube and the podcast when I get that done. It seems like each meeting, we always have somebody who can't seem to find us. And all you have to do is go into Facebook go into the groups, your groups, and click on Susie L. McMahon's Virtual Book Club, and you'll see this live streaming there. You can also friend me on Facebook, and it's always live streaming in my own personal page, profile page. So I'll leave it at that. We've had a wonderful evening. Stay warm down there in the South. Bye, Melissa. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Good night, everybody.